Just kidding. Good morning. I wasn't kidding about it being a good morning, but it's wonderful and snowy out there. It was not snowy when I got here, and now all of a sudden it's winter time. So uh, things change quickly. Well, it's great for you uh, to be with us. I want to give my personal welcome to the gathered worship of Heritage Grace Church. Uh, it's really wonderful that you're here. Uh, we're going to be continuing. Uh, it's not officially a two-part message, but last week when I was preparing the sermon, this was actually going to be part of it. It was going to be a one-parter, and then I realized there was just too much to go through. So on the Friday uh, before Sunday, I chopped it in half. And so we did the first part last Sunday, and uh, this Sunday we're doing uh, essentially the second part. Last week we looked at the extremely unlikely conversion of a man named Saul. Now, I gave the same disclaimer last week, uh, but when I say Saul, uh, who can, let, let's try a kid here. What's another name that Saul goes by in the Bible? What's that? Solomon is a character in the Bible, is a person in the Bible, but not Saul. Yeah. Paul. Very good. Yeah. So when I say Saul, I also mean Paul. And when I say Paul, I also mean Saul. Uh, sometimes when I'm talking about him in the future tense, I might call him Paul. And when I'm talking about him in the passage today, I might call him Saul. So just be aware that uh, it's convenient that they rhyme. Uh, but that's who we're talking about, the same guy. Uh, but we looked at this extremely unlikely conversion of a man named Saul. He was actively uh, seeking to persecute Christians. He was actively uh, trying to shut down the gospel. He was actively looking to, to crush the church. He was ravaging the church. He was an enemy of the good news, an enemy of Jesus. He was really a terrorist. Uh, but we see him have uh, a confrontation with Jesus. We see him having uh, an experience where he sees Jesus, and rather than arresting those who believe the gospel, he is arrested by the gospel. Right? He has an encounter with Jesus. And our big idea last week was, if God can save Saul, he can save anyone. Right? He can save you. And so this is the sequel. This is part two. This is what comes next. Saul becomes a believer, and then what? Right? Does he become a Christian and not much changes? Does he become a Christian, a nominal Christian, or a Christian in name only? Does he become a Christian and come to church pretty regularly, but see no real heart change? Maybe he gets rid of those big sins in his life of seeking and arresting Christians to persecute them, but maybe he keeps on sinning small sins and he thinks that's going to be okay. Is that what we see when we see Saul converted? No. Right? I think we all know that. Saul becomes a Christian. Uh, Christian, meaning Christ follower. And so what does he do? He follows Christ. It's radical. He follows Christ. God foreshadows the instrumental work of this man named Saul uh, that we looked at last week in uh, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. He says that Saul is going to be uh, an instrument in God's purpose, right? Saul is commissioned, and so Saul does what he's commissioned to do as a Christian. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the work of a faithful Christian, and we're going to be looking at, in, in turn, 
the work of a faithful church. So the work of a faithful Christian and the work of a faithful church. And so this, uh, if last week's, it was if God can save Saul, he can save you. Today's big idea, all right, Kyle, throw it up on the screen there for us. Today's big idea, if God can use Saul, he can use you. So if God can save Saul, he can save you. And if God can use Saul, he can use you. Now, I understand where we may, how we may be kind of coming into this morning. Uh, if you're a Christian, you may look at a guy like Saul, becomes a Christian, and becomes just dynamite right off the hop. And you may be thinking, this is honestly discouraging, Aaron. I, I can't measure up to the standard of the Apostle Paul. But I think Saul slash Paul, I think he would kind of put his arm around us pre-COVID, and he'd say, honestly, I'm right there with you. Saul is glad to boast in his weaknesses. And so even if you're convicted, if you're a Christian and you're convicted this morning, as we consider what it means to be a Christian, I hope you're encouraged as well. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to welcome you. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that you're here. I, I want to applaud you and thank you for your willingness to listen, to ask big questions, to be here. You picked a great morning. Not that I think I'll be able to convince you that becoming a Christian uh, is just going to make all your problems go away and create this nice, smooth, uh, freshly paved asphalt road for you to just cruise down. Your life isn't necessarily going to get easy, but I do hope that you hear clearly that to become a Christian, uh, that the cost is high, the road is narrow, but it's worth it. Okay, hear me when I say that. The cost is high, the road is narrow, but it's worth it. So this is what it means to be a Christian. Let's read Acts Chapter 9, uh, verses, we're going to start the second half of verse 19, and then go into 31. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, Acts is in the New Testament. Uh, so about that far through your Bibles, uh, you'll see the Old Testament, and then it'll, Acts is right after the Gospels, uh, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you see some names that you recognize, just keep flipping a little bit, and you'll, you'll land in Acts. And if you get to some names you really don't recognize, just keep cruising around. If you find in the, at the front of your Bibles, if you have a Bible, you can look in. All the books will be there. So we're in the book of Acts. All right. Acts chapter 9. Big number 9. Small number. We're going to start in the second half of 19. Let's read God's word together. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. 
But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. But when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the work of a faithful Christian and what the work of a faithful Christian means. And so right off the hop in verse 20, we see, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. So the first mark that we see of a Christian, uh, the first thing that we see the work of a faithful Christian means is making Christ known. This new Saul has a new agenda. Uh, he's sharing the gospel. He's making Christ known. He headed to Damascus, remember, 217 kilometers this guy walked. He was heading there to the synagogues to arrest Christians. But instead now, he goes to the synagogues. He still does what he set out to do. But instead of arresting Christians, arresting those who follow Christ, he is uh, preaching about Christ. Uh, we looked at a couple weeks ago when we considered evangelism. J.I. Packer, uh, he said, evangelism is when we are faithfully making the gospel message known. And so we see Saul doing exactly that. He is evangelizing. He is faithfully making the gospel message known. He's proclaiming Christ. Even thinking about evangelism again, testimonies telling our story about how we came to faith, they're great. Incredibly encouraging. Wonderful, wonderful things. Even last week, we spent time looking at Saul's conversion, his testimony, and we were encouraged by that. We see that Paul often told his story many times through the New Testament. He told his story of actual conversion and just talked a lot about his own life, the implications of what it meant for him to be a Christian. But what we see is the main thing is not just sharing a testimony. As good as that is, the main thing is preaching Christ. The main thing is making Christ known. And so to preach Christ, I want to encourage you with this. That doesn't mean you need to be behind a pulpit. Look at Saul. He's just doing his thing. It seems like he's like uh, a number of the people we've looked at so far. Everyone they talk to, their life, their message, their mission is to proclaim Christ. And throughout chapter 9, we see uh, proclamation, we see proving, and we see preaching. I didn't come up with the alliteration. It just is in there. But we see in verse 20, uh, Saul proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. Uh, we see in uh, verses 22, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And in verses 27 and 28, him preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. So Jesus gave him the mission. Jesus is the motivation. Jesus is his message. And so his entire life post-conversion is making Christ known. That's Saul's shtick. Right? If you want to consider this Saul, Apostle Paul guy, this is what he does. He makes Christ known. Because we see immediately, in verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. 
right? So immediately he's preaching. And if we look at the very end of Saul's life, which is at the end of the book of Acts, the very last two verses in the book of Acts say this, he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So this is his entire Christian life. You know, he had a rough patch, a really rough patch. He's saved and he preaches Christ. He makes Christ known. This is the work of a faithful Christian. Now we see a bit of an ambiguous time reference that he was preaching or proving that Jesus was the Christ and he was there for many days. We know from Galatians 1, uh, 17 and 18 that this many days was actually three years where Saul was in Damascus and Arabia preaching Christ. So this many days time, this passage that we're going through is covering quite a, a portion of of Saul's life here. He's proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world that the world needs and that they had been waiting for. So after three years, things get kind of hairy in Damascus. And so he flees and he goes to Jerusalem. And we know again from Galatians that that's for about two weeks. So he's three years in Damascus and Arabia and then uh, for two weeks in Jerusalem. In verse 27 and 28 of our passage today, I think is so helpful. It talks about him boldly preaching, boldly preaching, and not just boldly preaching, but boldly preaching in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. He's boldly preaching in the name of the Lord. So he's not preaching in the name of Saul. He's not preaching his own message. He's preaching in the name of Jesus. This reminds me of uh, in 2 Timothy which, by the way, we're going to be hopping around a lot through Paul's different letters and through the New Testament. So if you want to flip with me, feel free. Uh, if you want to just listen in, feel free as well, okay? No condemnation. If I flip somewhere, quick read a verse and flip back, you've been warned. Uh, this reminds me, though, of 2 Timothy. Paul writes a letter to a man named Timothy, his apprentice. And he writes a few verses that I think will be well known to many of you. Uh, maybe not all of you, but I want to draw a connection here. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen through seventeen says this: All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is God's word. This is what Paul says to his apprentice Timothy. Then we see just a few verses later in chapter four. So if you ignore the giant four that's there. And you just read a few verses later, he says this to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, right? We can't disconnect those two things because there's a big four in between them. He's saying all scripture is breathed out by God. This is God's word. And then he says, preach it. Don't preach your word, preach the word. And so this is what we see when we look at Saul modeling this, right? He's boldly preaching in the name of Jesus. He's not boldly preaching in the name of Saul. We, when we talked about evangelism a couple weeks ago, we talked about one of the words used in the original language as a herald, a herald of the gospel. And so we talked about in the ancient times that the king would have a message. He couldn't just send out an email blitz. So he would send heralds with a message. And the heralds would go into the different villages and towns and cities and countries and areas and they would uh, share the news from the king. They would herald the message. And with that, 
They not only brought the king's message, but their message as a herald brought the king's authority. Their message brought the king's authority. And so this is Saul's boldness. This is not his own lofty words or phrases, but this is authority from the king, from the king of kings. This is how he can preach boldly. And so, Christian, be encouraged. Boldness is a gift from God. Boldness is a gift from God. Because we may feel, this may be that first moment where you feel terribly inadequate. I'd say, well, Saul is preaching boldly. How? This is a gift from God. In Acts 4, the first time the Christians were persecuted, they didn't huddle together and say, oh no, how do we avoid that? What do they do? They gather and they pray. And they pray to God and ask him for more boldness. And so boldness is a gift from God. Jesus promised when he ascended into heaven that we would receive power from the Holy Spirit. This is this kind of boldness. And so be encouraged that Saul models uh, the work of a faithful Christian, what it means to make Christ known boldly. Now, when you make Christ known boldly, that will bring opposition. And so that's our second point. The work of a faithful Christian means persevering through opposition. The first opposition we see uh, right off the hop is doubt. Again, we're going to get a couple, a bit of an alliteration here. We're going to see doubt, debate, and the threat of death. These are the things we're going to run into that, that Saul encounters here, persevering through opposition. So the first being doubt from non-Christians. Right? People see them. They say, wasn't this that guy? Wasn't he coming here to take the Christians out? Saul bumps into here the first opposition that he has to persevere through is doubt. And so I wonder if that's true for any of us. Do you worry that your reputation goes ahead of you? Uh, that uh, to non-Christians, they'll see right through your evangelism and say, well, look at this guy. He was a total mess. Look at her. Look what she was doing. Right? Or to Christians, do you worry that you can't be welcomed into the family because You've lived a life that, that doesn't measure up. Well, again, we can be encouraged by Paul's writing in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Right? And he models this perfectly. What a reputation he had, literally on a mission to go and persecute and arrest Christians, yet he proclaims Christ. And I think few would argue he was very effective in that mission. Uh, we still have so much of his... Uh, writing and teaching and this model laid out for us. So Saul had a broken past, yet he was used mightily, maybe even because of his broken past. He was uh, willing to boast in his weakness, and so he was uh, proud to boast all the more of Christ. And so then Saul, we see, also faced, so he faced doubt. He also faced debate. Uh, in verses 22 and 29, we see him... Uh, confounding the Jews. We see him uh, debating. We see him uh, disputing against the Hellenists. Right, so both in Damascus and Jerusalem, maybe even in the same uh, synagogues as Stephen disputing with the Hellenists. And so it says he was confounding them. This reminds me of Acts chapter 6 when uh, Stephen, spirit-empowered wisdom, uh, they couldn't withstand his wisdom. Right, and Stephen was the first martyr. He was killed because he was preaching Christ. And Saul, the hero that we're looking at now, 
he approved of that execution. Right? But it says Stephen uh, had spirit-empowered wisdom that they couldn't withstand. And, it, and it's paralleled now with Saul being the one uh, that was confounding them. And so Jesus promised uh, in Luke 21, 15, he says this, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That's a good promise. This doesn't mean don't know your Bible and just hope that we'll receive a mouth of wisdom. Uh, know your Bible, but don't lean on your own understanding. Next we see maybe what sticks out the most poignant in our passage is the threat of death. The threat of death. This is serious business, right? And Saul knows it. He approved of a Christian's edu uh, execution not long before. And so he knows that this threat is real. But the threat of death, we see from the Jews, uh, specifically the word there used is for the Jewish religious leaders. We see them plotting, and the Hellenists, these are the Greek-speaking Jews, see them seeking to kill Saul. And so Saul takes the place, uh, essentially, of Stephen, who we looked at, who was killed for his faith. And now Saul, who went to further push against the Christians, to further attack them. Now he's on the other side. He's facing the threat of death. And so we know that following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is not easy. If we look at the rest of Saul's story, Paul's story, we see this guy faces some serious pushback for preaching the gospel, for making Christ known. 2 Corinthians 11, 24-33, it's a big section here, but I want to read it, and it just highlights uh, some of the trials that Saul faces later. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 33 says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So Paul knows Living in a fallen world is tricky when you carry the message of the gospel, the good news uh, that is counter to a fallen world. But what a hope we have that Jesus doesn't leave us in those moments. Right, just a few verses later, Paul goes on to write in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 9 through 10. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so be encouraged. Run to Jesus when you're running out of gas. 
Look to the hope you have in Jesus when you feel like you have no hope. If you face doubt, debate, even physical harm, look to Jesus and his promises. He's with you. So what a hope we have in Jesus in those moments. But God also gives an amazing gift to believers. Gives the amazing gift of other Christians, of the church. And so that's our third point. The work of a faithful Christian means receiving support from the church. We see right away physical support. In verse 24, it says, But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates uh, day and night in order to kill him. Now, we don't know how this uh, plot became known to Saul. Maybe supernaturally uh, he was made aware. But maybe, too, he was the persecutor. Maybe he knew their tactics. Uh, but somehow he found out what was going on. It says, but the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So this is an action movie style escape. This is tense. But isn't it good to have friends who have your back? Again, when Saul flees to Jerusalem, we see the Christians, they hear about the plan to have Saul killed. And so they get him out of there. So this is just a good lesson, a good reminder Christians care for one another. Beyond physical support, we see another really helpful story of advocating support. So receiving support from the church physically, physical support, having somebody actually save your life. But we also see advocating support from our good old buddy Barnabas. All right, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, his nickname was. He always comes through. Some worried that this Saul guy wasn't a Christian, wasn't a disciple. But leave it to the son of encouragement to come through. He, I love the language Luke uses. It says he took him. He brought him. He declared Saul's story to them. This is advocating support. And so it's sad that too often churches are marked by division. Too often churches are marked by division. And so what can we learn from this example of advocating support? Right? That doesn't mean don't use discernment. But there's a real preciousness in this advocating support. And this echoes the advocating support that Saul already received from Ananias when he comes and calls him brother and welcomes him in. So the world needs a lot more advocating support. And so let's start inside the church. And so what does this work of a faithful Christian lead to? We've looked the faithful work of a Christian means making Christ known, persevering through opposition, and receiving support from the church. So what does this lead to? Well, Luke gives us one of his wonderful little summaries in verse 31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So we see five things in that one verse, five things. The first, peace. This is not the most peaceful time, right? Multiple times people want to kill Saul, right? So you wouldn't see this as necessarily a peaceful time. Right? There's threat of death for sharing the gospel, but preaching the gospel faithfully, persevering through opposition, support from the church leads to peace within the church. And this is a good thing. We see these same things work towards the church being built up. The same work is building up the church. We see the church walking in the fear of the Lord. Right? So they're not only leaning on themselves and uh, faithfully ticking the boxes of what a Christian needs to do, 
They're walking in the fear of the Lord. They're remembering who's in charge. They're keeping perspective. It says they're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They are reliant on and they rest in the comfort that they have the Holy Spirit. They don't need to do this on their own. They have the Holy Spirit and his power. What a promise. And out of that, we get another one of Luke's classic updates. We see multiplication. Another encouraging report of multiplication. And so we've gone through and seen Saul have an encounter with Jesus. And then we see this part two. What next? We see Saul making Christ known. We see him persevering through opposition. And we see him receive support from the church. And so Christian, are you making Christ known? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Is this leading to opposition? Is that making you crumble? Or are you persevering? Lean on God's good promises and receive God's gift of support through the church. And how are we doing as a church, Heritage Grace? How are we doing with all of this? Are we, if we wrote a summary statement about Heritage Grace, would we say there's peace, we're being built up, we're walking in the fear of the Lord, we're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we're multiplying? And so this is a big list, both for the personal Christian and for the church, right? And I'm right there with you. This can feel heavy. This can feel discouraging. But this is our calling. This is what we do. This is what the early church did. This is what Saul did. Rely on the Holy Spirit's power and God's saving work. So if God can use, uh, if God can save Saul, he can save you. And if God can use Saul, he can use you. Acts chapter 9 begins with one version of Saul Here we have another one who faithfully uh, lives out what it means to be a Christian. And so Saul's story is one of suffering. He's persecuted, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead. So we know making Christ known will bring opposition. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says this, Suffering, then, is the badge of discipleship. Suffering, then, is the badge of discipleship. And so that's the pitch, right? I said I wasn't going to try to tell you everything would be peachy. I wouldn't sugarcoat it. But this is what we learn. And so if you're not a Christian, I'm not trying to bluff you. I'm not trying to con you into becoming a Christian. I'm telling you the cost is high. But I'm telling you even louder that it's worth it. The God of the universe has made a way for us as sinful, broken people to be made right through the good news of the gospel. Saul, he had it all. He was living the dream. He was successful. He was educated. He was respected. He was of noble birth. He had power. But the good life was worth nothing to him. Philippians 3, 8 through 12 Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, 
that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So if God can use Saul, he can use you. Press on. Make it your own because Christ has made you his own. In Paul's last letter to Timothy, uh, before he dies, uh, what we've looked at already a decent amount, um, he knows that the end is near. He knows that he would soon die for his faith. Uh, He knew that he had a dark past, but he had lived a faithful life of service to Christ. He says this to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So may that be true for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we again come to you humbled, even that you would consider us for this calling to be your children. God, we know with that high calling and those big challenges comes a big promise that you will be with us forever. And so, Father, we pray that the work that we see Saul doing, even if we feel convicted, Father, we would be encouraged knowing that you did incredible things through Saul. Father, I pray that we would faithfully make Christ known, that we would proclaim the gospel boldly and that that boldness would come from you. Father, give us boldness to proclaim the gospel. Lord, give us the strength to persevere through opposition, be that doubt, debate, threat of death. Father, I pray that we would faithfully persevere through opposition. And God, thank you for the gift that is the church, the ability to receive support from one another. And Father, I pray that the work of a faithful church, uh, that Heritage Grace Church would be a a church of peace, uh, being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and that we would multiply if it is your will. Father, we love you. We thank you for the glorious gospel that saves and transforms. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.